invite you to take your Bibles and open to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. As we continue in our series here of God's plan over human powers, looking at the, uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 6. This is perhaps probably one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament. This is a classic Sunday school lesson with flannel graph. The more lions, the better, right? The more hungry they look, the better. Uh, but we're going to look here at Daniel 6 and uh, this passage, which is so well-known, but just the, the simple truth that is found here for us as followers of Jesus Christ, what we learn about God's character, about the world around us, as we seek to live lives of faithfulness uh, for our God, of how it responds and how we then should respond as well. So let's pray, and then we'll look at our passage this morning. Father, thank you again that you are a holy God. You are unlike us, yet you know us, Lord. You've sent your Son who's taken on human flesh. He knows what it's like to be tired, to be hungry, to weep, Lord, to have joy, Lord, he has been tempted in all ways that we have been yet without sin. Lord, you can sympathize with us. You know. And yet you are still a distinct and holy God who is sovereign over all. And Lord, we thank you for that. As we look at this big picture of who you are this morning as the, the one who is at work behind the scenes, may that cause us to worship, to rest, and to trust in you. Lord, help us now as we come to your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Hopefully you found your way to Daniel chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 743, page 743 in the pew Bible. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18 by way of introduction for our passage this morning. So Daniel 16 through 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. I entitled this message, A God Worth Dying For. A God worth dying for. There's a, uh, um, the classic advertising campaign for Klondike Bar, right? What would you do for a Klondike Bar, right? Maybe right now you would do anything. It's a little, little warm in here. A little Klondike Bar this morning tastes good at, you know, 8.30 on a Sunday morning. Maybe not. <laughs> what would you do for a Klondike Bar? What are you willing to do? As we think of that idea and as we think of this passage... What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to do for God? In this passage in Daniel 6, Daniel is confronted with the truth that people are out to get him. And in the process of being out to get him, he will have to face death. Is it worth dying for? Is his God, is his faith, is his worship of the one true Lord worth dying for? And that's been a question for believers throughout the centuries, from the Old Testament into the New Testament with the apostles as we are reading in the book of Acts during our Sunday school time. We'll pick that back up. How those who preached 
about Jesus and the kingdom of God, many of them came to an untimely end. And that didn't end in the first century. That continued throughout history and throughout different movements. People were put to death for their faith in God. And this still happens. Still happens today. If you've been reading through our book, Daring Devotion, these little three or four, five page snippets of missionaries, several of them gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Several of them paid the ultimate price of their very lives. But they knew that God was worth dying for. He was worth the ultimate sacrifice. No matter what the world said, no matter the circumstances or the pressures around them, they knew that he was a God worth dying for. And as we come to our passage this morning, we see this truth. Because our God is sovereign, we've been learning about this throughout all of Daniel, he is a God worth worshiping no matter the circumstances around you. That's our big idea. Because our God is sovereign, he is a God worth worshiping no matter the circumstances around you, even if those circumstances may lead to death. The world is set against God and his followers. The world, our sin nature, the world out there, but also our very sin natures are set against God. And as we seek to follow God, there are those who are set against him who will persecute you for your faith. They will make it difficult. They will ridicule. They will mock. But we are to continue to worship. But that even may move to the point of punishing you for your faith, making it illegal. But the need to continue to trust God. These are simple principles, but the implications for our lives are huge. Are you willing to die for your faith? Are you willing to die to yourself, your own desires of self-protection, knowing that God is worth it? Daniel continued of the one true God, knowing the consequences that await him. And this pattern reminds us of God's sovereignty and how he is a God worth worshiping. So let's look here at two points of what the world's going to try to do and what our response should be. So number one, the world will seek to persecute you for your faith. So continue to worship. The world will seek to persecute you for your faith. So continue to worship. In Daniel 6, this, uh, this overhaul of the ruling kingdom has just happened. The end of Daniel 5 was the end of the kingdom of Babylon. Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, met an untimely end at the hand of the Medes and the Persians. He was throwing a party. He saw the handwriting on the wall. And then that night, his life was taken from him. And it was given to Darius the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That's the end of Daniel chapter five. There's some debate about the identity of Darius, who he is. Um, there's a lot of ideas, but it's safe to say he was a governor, a ruler of the Medes and the Persians placed in charge of Babylon. Uh, was he over the entire Medes and Persians? Most commentators think not, but he was the man who was basically the head honcho in Babylon, Darius the Mede. And he was set over the kingdom, this area, this administration. And so it was his job to make sure the transition happened smoothly. The Medes and the Persians were great administrators. They wanted to set people up who knew the kingdom who would, in a sense, buy loyalty for the nations that they just conquered 
and that the people would live relative in relative peace. It's why Cyrus, which we'll read about in the next few chapters, allows many of the Jews to go back home because he knows that their area where they have come from will be ruled better by them under his power and authority. Here, Darius, verse 1, sets up over the kingdom 120 satraps. These are governors. These are, are administrative workers. They are local rulers. And over those 120, he sets over them three high officials. And Daniel was one. Isn't this interesting? Daniel basically probably was in retirement in Daniel 5. But all of a sudden now, he gets placed in one of the three main positions of overseeing the kingdom under Darius the Mede. Word probably would have went out of what just happened with the handwriting on the wall and about people who knew who could be trusted, who have been loyal to the Babylonians, to the rulers, who could be a help. And through God's sovereignty, Daniel is there and he's one of them. Remember, Daniel is old (laughs) in his 70s or 80s. He's no spring chicken. But yet he still has this position of authority Under Darius. It says in verse 2, so that the king might suffer no loss, meaning Daniel was put in this position to oversee and to help King Darius flourish. Verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel conducted himself in a way that is worthwhile to Darius, does a good job, builds a good reputation, is useful, is good at his job. And so Darius is going to promote him. I think this is interesting. This is a little side application here. Daniel was taken from exile, taken in exile from when he was a young boy. And throughout his time in Babylon, you never read of Daniel seeking to overthrow the king, seeking to undermine the authority of Nebuchadnezzar even Belshazzar, and here of Darius. You read of Daniel seeking to do his job, his role to the best of his ability to help the one he's serving flourish. He's seeking the good of the community around him. And there's actually a passage uh, in, in Jeremiah, I believe, that talks about that, that when they go into exile, that they are to basically help the area in which they're in exile, the Jews, to flourish. You're in a job with people you may not agree with or somebody you don't get along with the best, but here's an opportunity for you to give glory to God by doing your job well. That, that's huge. In a world that is, well, I don't like that person, so I'm going to not do a good job. I'm going to do shoddy workmanship. Right? I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm going, not going to seek the good of the people that I'm working for or, or who am I serving. That is not the case with Daniel. Daniel has this excellent spirit within him and he is promoted, and the king wants to set him over the whole kingdom. He wants to be, him to be number two. Verse four, but then we see this jealousy. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for a complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. <laughs> these other men, more than likely, these other two rulers that were with Daniel were jealous, and they wanted to entrap him. They wanted to find something to bring to their boss, Darius, and say, hey, look what Daniel did wrong. But they couldn't find anything. Daniel, Daniel 
did everything above reproach. They could find no ground for a complaint or any fault. And so what do they attack? They can't attack Daniel's character. They can't attack Daniel's uh, quality of his work, of his desires, of his motivation. What are they going to attack? They're going to attack his faith. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They knew that Daniel was above reproach, so they sought to use Daniel's faith against him. Because it must have been well known that Daniel served the one true God, his God from Jerusalem. And in a sense, they knew that that was the weak point. And so they come up with this scheme. They come to King Darius and they say, listen, all the high officials, priests, everybody in charge, you should make an ordinance, an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or any man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now you might be saying, did they just come up with the den of lions? Is this like a normal thing? Do a lot of people have den of lions? <laughs> this was a normal way of punishment uh, in the, the Near East at this point in history. Lions would be prevalent in the wilderness. They'd be captured. They'd be placed in cages. They'd be, uh, they would be, be fed raw meat all the time to keep them hungry, to have that desire for flesh. And so this was actually a normal way uh, to dispense judgment. And they said to Darius, basically, if any man makes any petition to anybody except through you first, they should be thrown into the den of lions. What they are doing is they are going to be testing Daniel's perspective, his worship. They are saying, much like certain veins of Christianity, say, no, you must go through a human individual to make a petition to God. They, you must go through Darius, the king, before you make any petition. He is the gateway. He is the one who holds the door. He's the intercessor. That is what they are saying. And they know that this will entrap Daniel because they know that Daniel prays directly to his God, not through any man. So this is what they bring. Verse 8, now establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. The Medes and Persians had some strange customs and strange laws that once a law is made, it cannot be revoked. There are certain things that would have to happen. It could not be easily repealed. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. Remember, these are Darius's servants. These are the people who are to be serving Darius and looking out for his well-being. They are his advisors. They're saying, King, this would be a good idea. Do this. And so Darius says, okay, and he does it. Darius had a lot of things on his mind. I'm not excusing him, but I'm saying you could understand how this could happen so quickly. His advisors come to him and say, no, sign this. This is a good idea. So this happens. But when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he had heard about it. He knew what was going on. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel heard about this instance. He heard about them trying to... to trap him, to persecute him for his, his faith. That was the hook that they were going to use. And what does Daniel do? He barges in and to the king and says, listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a scheme against you to entrap me. And he starts pleading his case. 
He runs away to hide so he can't be found. Daniel does what he always did. He went to his house. He went to the window that faced Jerusalem that would be looking to the west. He got down on his knees and he prayed three times a day. Now, is this a magic formula to pray three times a day on your knees facing Jerusalem? No, there's, it's not necessarily recorded anywhere in the Bible that we should do this. But in Daniel's mind, that's where the temple was. That's where worship was located. Getting down on your knees is an, is an act of, of humbling yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a position of, of making yourself low, of dependence. So Daniel comes and he prays to God facing Jerusalem like he's always done. Daniel's faith was resolute. That when all this happens, nothing changed. I think sometimes we think, well, my faith really isn't tested, or I don't need to pray, or I don't, we're lacking. But yet when something hard happens, then all of a sudden we're like, oh, I need to do this. I need to really pray now. Daniel's pattern was the same no matter what. His pattern did not really change, even when the difficulties came, because he had been relying upon God throughout all of this. So he's praying. Then the men came by and found Daniel making petition. They saw him, or they heard him, and they run to the king. And verse 12, it says, Did you not sign an injunction, O king, that with anybody prays or makes any petition without coming to you, they shall be cast in the den of lions? The king says, yes, this stands fast. It's still there according to my laws, the laws of the Medes and the Persian. They said, well, then Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Their motivation is revealed. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Isn't that interesting? King Darius, when he heard this, isn't like, okay, let's kill him. He's distressed. He's thinking, oh no, not Daniel. How can I work around this? Is there a loophole? Darius does not want to harm Daniel. Daniel is his probably best administrator, his best one that he has set him under himself. And it says that he labored, verse 14, until the sun went down to rescue him. So he probably was talking to to their, their experts in the law and figuring out, is there a way to get Daniel out of this? Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said, oh, king, that is a law of Medes and Persians. No injunction ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They came and they tattled to Darius about Daniel. Darius was overwhelmed and he was sad for he he liked Daniel very much. He was very valuable to him. Daniel was put in a difficult situation, but he continued to worship God like he always had. He was set on God no matter what. Because in Daniel's mind, he's seen it all before. Daniel goes back to the very beginning when he first asked not to eat the meat. Daniel knows God's faithfulness. And then he remembers the story about all the wise men who are going to be killed, but yet that God gives him the interpretation of his dream and delivers all the wise men and the, the magicians and all the, the Chaldeans who serve Nebuchadnezzar. Then he remembered that time of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his friends who were delivered through the fiery furnace. And he remembers that time when God humbled Nebuchadnezzar 
and turn, turning his heart to the one true God and worshiping him. And he remembers very recently the fact that God was sovereign in judging Belshazzar and being faithful in delivering Daniel and placing him where he's at. Daniel knew and had experienced God's sovereign faithfulness. He remembered. And so his eyes were not focused on the circumstances. Oh no, what am I going to do? But rather his eyes were turned to the Lord. In the midst of the difficulty, he continued doing. He continued to be faithful. He had his eyes focused on God. And he let everything else around him fall where it may. I love to mow. Um, I love a day when it's warm, the grass is long. Grass hasn't been long <laughs> in, a, in, in a while without rain. But mowing on a hot day, we're on a, on a nice big mower. I worked in high school, had a nice big zero turn, pop the earbuds in, and you could just go. I could mow for eight, 10 hours a day. But as we learned to mow, especially on a zero turn, you wanted straight lines. That's kind of like the mark of somebody who can mow well is that they have straight lines especially if you mow it enough and you can burn the lines in if you have a roller on the back. I would love to be one of the guys who makes the designs like in the baseball fields like they do. But as we were learning in high school, my friend and I, how to make straight lines, the guy we worked for said this, you have to pick a point out in front of you, right? Pick a point out far in front of you and keep your eyes on it. And don't let the things distract you around you. You might see little things, but you have to be aware, but you keep your eyes focused out. Because if you're, if you're constantly looking right in front of you and around you, you're going to be constantly making adjustments, and it looks like, you know, who was driving this mower? Okay, I got this. And it's easy if it's flat and smooth, but if it's bumpy or there's things you have to go around, you have to, it's hard to keep that thing in your, in, in your focus. There's one spot, there was several barn swallow nests, and they love to swoop, right? I remember one time, First time I think I mowed this area, it swooped down, and man, I, you look, it's like, what happened there? <laughs> but even through that, I remember, they're going to swoop low, but they're not going to get you. You're going to have to ignore them and keep going. And finally, you get used to that. You get used to the circumstances around you, and you keep your focus out, and you can make a straight line. Daniel kept his eyes out in front of him on God. He remembered how God had been faithful in the past. And there's all these things happening around him. More people trying to overthrow him and, and have him done away with. And another king that God has set up. But yet Daniel remained focused on that one point. And that point is God. Daniel remained faithful. He continued to worship God as God called him to. Pick a point. Keep your eyes forward. Don't be distracted by other things. That's what Daniel did. As the world seeks to persecute us for our faith, thinking that Christianity and the gospel is backwards, it's an old message, we don't need it. It's outdated. We need to let all those things, though we are aware of them, not distract us from worshiping God. To keep our eyes out front. Do you let external things distract you from worshiping the one true God? There are so many things that can do that today. From the voices in the world, but also things in our lives. Our jobs can distract us. Good things can distract us. Things that we enjoy, but we can put them in the place of God to where that's what we're seeking after rather than God himself. Hard things and difficult things can come along. 
But when those hard things and difficult things come along, do they distract us or do they cause us? No, we're going to go right back to where we need to keep our focus on God. Things we enjoy, things we receive from God, good gifts, they can even be a distraction. But yet, we need to keep our eyes on God. Even in the midst of persecution. We may even say that we need things to be a certain way for us to worship or to make it easier for us. But we must embrace where we are at in life and worship Him. When things are going well, keep our eyes on God. When things are going difficult, when things are hard, keep our eyes on God. When you have little kids, keep your eyes on God. When you are an empty nester, keep your eyes on God. When our culture is for God and supportive of biblical truths, keep our eyes on God. When it's not, we are to keep our eyes on Him. Worship, praise, pray, live for God. Why? Because Daniel knows his faithfulness and how he has acted, and it's worth it. He is worthy of our worship. Because though Darius has power and though these men are trying to undermine him, Daniel's still there. (laughs) Daniel's like, yeah, I've seen this before. And I know who's really in charge, my God. Secondly, the world will seek to punish you for your faith. So continue to trust God. This is persecution amped up. This is the point which it becomes illegal. That there is punishment associated with worshiping God. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And here we see the king's anguish. He says, Daniel, may your God whom you serve deliver you. This is almost like a last ditch plea by Darius. Daniel, if your God is there, may he deliver you. It's somebody who doesn't know Jesus, but yet they know that you do and they ask you to pray. It's like, maybe your God can do something. (laughs) That happens often in our world today. He cries out and he says, may your God deliver you. And the den was sealed. So there would have been a seal put on some sort of of leather strap or some something where his ring would be dipped in wax and, and sealed that it should not be opened. So Daniel was placed there with the lions. And look at what happened to Darius. The king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He was so overwhelmed. Do you ever have a situation in life when you're not hungry? You can't sleep. Nothing could distract you. No reading, no music, no shows, no anything. It's, you're just so overwhelmed with care and concern for this one thing. That's what happened to Darius. Then at the break of day, the early morning, the king arose and went to the den of lions. And he cried out as he was near, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I wonder what Darius was hoping to hear. Obviously, he was hoping to hear Daniel respond, but... Would there be nothing? Just the roar of lions, maybe anguish of a wounded Daniel seeking to run from the lions in the den. But then Daniel cries out in verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den. No harm was found on him because he had trusted 
in his God. We see Daniel's complete deliverance here. His faith led to this punishment, but yet God delivered Daniel. This is a mirror image, almost a mirror image of Daniel 3, right? The three men were put in the fiery furnace. God sent an angel, delivered them. They were not harmed at all. Daniel placed in the lion's den. God sends an angel to shut the lion's mouths. Daniel is unharmed in any way. Again, we see how God is sovereign in protecting those who trust him and delivering them as a means of testimony to who he is, who God is. So Daniel is taken up and the king was exceedingly glad. He was rejoicing. And then he was furious, verse 24. And the king commanded, then those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. Some question, is this 120 people? More than likely not. No, these are probably the two other high rulers with Daniel, perhaps a few others. But why their children? Why their wives? Why their families? Well, to demonstrate the power and the ability to dispense judgment that Darius had. And if you get rid of an entire family, who can avenge them? No one can. The judgment is complete and whole by Darius on these wrongdoers. And they were placed in the den. And it says, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now you might say, were the lions just full and not hungry for Daniel? That very clearly states no. (laughs) There was a supernatural intervening by God to shut the mouths of the lion. And here, the lions completely devour, break the bones of all those who are cast into the den. We see how God delivers Daniel through Daniel's trust in him. God was faithful. God is sovereign over the circumstances of Daniel's life and over our lives. And God dispenses judgment on those who seek to attack him. And we see the resulting praise of Darius in verse 25. He wrote to all the peoples, and this is what he says, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniels from the power of the lions. Again, it's very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's confession. But Darius recognizes the power of Daniel's God and basically makes it okay to worship him. So Daniel prospers again during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God delivers Daniel and continues to prosper him as he rules in the Persian kingdom. Daniel's trust in the Lord was unwavering because he knew God is sovereign and will do as he sees fit. He knew that in his worship of God, it may lead to punishment, but it's more important to worship God than to listen to human governments. That's repeated in the book of Acts. The apostles were charged not to preach the gospel, And the apostles say, it's better for us to obey God rather than men. Now, this does not mean we do not listen to the government at all. Romans 13 very clearly states that government is an 
office ordained by God for the common good. Government has the ability to make rules and laws to promote the flourishing of a nation, of an area, of a group of people. But there are times when government oversteps its bounds and starts to make laws that infringe upon biblical truth or do not allow the free worship of God. And in that sense, we are to obey God rather than men. And when we do that, we receive the results, the consequences. But in that, we continue to trust God. You might look at our nation around us, and there are things that it is doing that is contrary to the truth of God's word. And our whole flow of culture is that way, but yet we should remain faithful to our worship of God and to do it steadfastly and confident, trusting God. There may be consequences for our faith and our worship, but we take those as it come, knowing that God ultimately will have the last say. And this is not unique to our time. This has happened throughout history. In reading through our missionary biographies, one that's not in there but came to mind was the the story of Corrie ten Boom during World War II. As she and her family hid the Jews from the Germans, the law was to give them up. But yet they knew that that was wrong because that would lead to the imprisonment and murder of these individuals. And so they disobeyed the government. But in doing so, it was out of an act of worship to God, knowing that this was the right thing to do. It was the God-honoring thing to do. But they received consequences for their actions. They themselves were sent to prison camps. But yet, they trusted God. Do we fear our circumstances and the repercussions for our faith more than we trust God? Do we mope and complain and blame the next generation? Do we look at the world around us and bemoan it's this fault, it's this person's doing, and so on and so forth? Or do we continue to trust God and worship Him as He calls us to? If God is sovereign, why do we not trust Him? He who has given us His very Son, how shall He not also give us all things? As we read this morning. Let us trust God like Daniel. Why? Because our God is the same God of Daniel. We know the song, Dare to Be a Daniel. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Okay, I get the premise. Be like Daniel. But more than that, trust God. Trust Daniel's God. And that is the God of the Bible. The one who has shown himself faithful over and over again. Daniel 6 is about God's faithfulness to those who continue to look to him and trust him in the midst of difficulties. The one who has shown himself faithful and over and over again as he sovereignly works out his will among us, among the nations. And as we continue to progress through the book of Daniel and we get into some harder things with some visions and some prophecy and what do all these things mean, it must be tempered and grounded in the truth that our God is sovereign and is seeking to protect his own. And that may not look like being delivered from every difficulty, but it certainly looks like that in the end, God will have his way. And just as God delivered Daniel from the lion's den, so God has delivered us from our greatest enemy, death, from the sin that indwells us through his son, Jesus Christ.
He has given us victory through Jesus Christ against the greatest enemy. And therefore, as we have that hope in Christ, we can face the circumstances around us knowing us that God is faithful. Father, thank you for the reminder and the hope that is found here in Daniel 6. Thank you for Daniel's pattern of faithfulness, but more than that, thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to Daniel and how you worked in his life. And Lord, in the lives of believers, you call us to be faithful as well. Lord, may we look to you working and being faithful in our lives. Give us boldness. Help us to worship when we're persecuted. Help us to trust when the world cries for punishment because of our faith. And may we leave the results up to you. Lord, we love you. We pray in you. Amen.